Welcome to a very special edition of V'ger Please, A Hateful Voice for the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. So, a little bit of backstory as to this particular episode. This is not a review of an episode of Star Trek Voyager, which is, to date, all you and I have done as part of this show. This is a reward. Specifically, we have a number of people who subscribe to us on Patreon, which we deeply appreciate at www.patreon.com slash feature, please. And we offered as an incentive to those people, oh, whenever we have like deleted bits or things that we don't end up using for the show, oh, we'll put it up here and you guys can enjoy it. Well, the problem is ever since we started the Patreon, we've had like almost none of that. And we resolved to do a special episode for our patrons that would be exclusive to them for a time period uh, as a way to make up for the fact we haven't had any, like, uh, choice bits to share with them. And uh, we let them vote. And that was both the best idea and the worst idea. I very heavily lobbied because the results of this vote are specifically what I wanted and hoped and wished upon a star and begged and pleaded with the people listening at home to to jump in on the support group. And I must say that I was not disappointed by the results. <laughs> this this is a special episode for us for a couple of reasons. Like you said, it's a it's a big reward out there to those who have put their hard earned money into the bullshit coming out of our mouths. And yeah. second, <laughs> uh, as you said, this is the first time that. Since we began doing V'ger, please, we're not talking about Voyager, but but what's special about this to me is it's the first time we're really talking specifically about Star Trek The Next Generation, even if it is Star Trek The Next Generation, a triple X parody. So we uh, we put up there a lot of options. We put up have to review a JJ verse, you know, Kelvin timeline movie, uh, have to review a random episode of a different show, all kinds of stuff. And this was the clear winner. And I didn't know what we would be getting ourselves into. I had heard of this and I had seen like people do articles of like, Oh, this is really good. I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, how good could it possibly be? Well, Peter, Peter, I was stunned. I was, I was stunned at how good this was. Not necessarily as porn. I mean, it's it, it is porn and it is well shot porn. But I don't. I I there are many episodes of TNG. I would say are markedly worse than this. Absolutely. And having come out of uh, you know strong stint of Voyager, there, I was very pleasantly surprised. So I heard first of all, this next generation a triple X porn parody. There's a lot of porn parodies out there. Uh, and having a high speed interconnection, I've I've seen more than my fair share, perhaps. Uh, but I'd not seen this one. And what has always kind of piqued my interest on this was the reception it got from the nerd community because of the attention to detail and the familiarity with the primary subject material that Sam Hain Sam, Sam Hain said his name. Yeah, Sam Hain looks like it's how it's pronounced. Who wrote this? Uh, and it's always been on my list of things to watch. And for one reason or another, I've never really gotten around to it. I actually got the movie a while ago. Um, 
and just you know i for one reason or another, like ds9 or any of the other big treks out there i just i hadn't had the time or maybe i knew that there was a the right time to watch and it was not until last night uh i foolishly played heroes of the storm until about 1 a.m before i was like all right i'll knock this out how long could this movie be uh two hours long (laughs) i was like man thank god we didn't get one of the 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 big you know theatrical release movies that's like an hour and a half or two hours long like that'll take forever i started this fucking thing it's two parts and each is an hour and i was like holy fucking shit i would say that if you choose to watch there is on youtube a safe for work cut which evidently came with the DVD as well originally. If you bought it, so this is from 2011, so this thing's about eight years old, and yeah, it had a PG-13 no sex scenes cut essentially that you could play, and that is more like 30 minutes, which is surprising that it was. <laughs> so methodology, I I watched the uncut version. I'm not going to say I sat there and watched every minute like. The ability to just jog through some of the like the repetitive sex scenes was a a real blessing. But I kind of found myself wondering halfway through, I was like, how long is the actual plot of this? Because I feel like there's a lot of time that's going into like the sexy time. But it also feels like there's a fair amount of plot. Like, what the fuck are they doing on your average Voyager episode where? I feel like this porn in the the half hour of plot time it has covers more ground and wastes less time all while, you know, there being dongs and buttholes everywhere. It, it I could not possibly agree more. I did the same thing. I watched the porn version, but uh, fast forwarded, you know, once I got the gist of each sex scene and then was astonished. I, I guess I'm just not used to watching feature length. I porn. know some. I'm like, what? What is this? Who would who would watch this from beginning to end? This whole this one scene is 20 minutes. Yes. Jesus, and it's all followed <laughs> the same formula too. Which you know, the real shame in this yeah. is that we didn't do a a, co- a collaboration with, and now we drink with our friend Matt Solman, who is real deep in the porn industry. I, I've heard before of like uh, a porn formula where it's like, all right, this many minutes goes to blowjob, then this many minutes to. The guy going down on the girl. We should probably do a disclaimer at some point that if you don't want to hear about sex and porn, that this is a good episode. <laughs> I mean, and, and we we explicitly have marked this as, you know, the episode where we review a porn. And if you clicked on this and have watched, listened to this point, you, you get what you're getting. I mean, this is what we're we're going to review it. And that means we're going to review this as well. <laughs> And you're right. It's very formulaic. It's start with the BJ and then kind of cycle through positions and with a pearl necklace, like every fucking single one of these scenes, which kind of made it easy to skip through after the first one. You're like, OK, okay I kind of know how this is going to go. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they cover a lot of ground in it. So uh, this has always had this mythos of being great. Like you said, it was a 2011 production. Um, not the easiest thing to find on the internet, although hearing that there's the, the safe for work version on YouTube would have made my quest to try and track this thing down a lot easier, but I'm glad we were able to see the uncut, um, version. So like I said, it's 1am last night. I'm trying to get this thing in. 
I don't think it could possibly be as long as it ended up being. And I sure as fuck, Joe, I sure as fuck. Do you know how many notes I took on uh, the last episode that we had was, I'm sorry, vis-a-vis I took one page of notes. Killing Game Part 2, I took half a page of notes. This fucking pornography. (laughs) Three full pages top to bottom of notes. (laughs) Oh, I can I can see why I uh, there are this is shockingly competent in TNG continuity. We'll get into that in a second. I do want to just as we finish, like the mythology behind it. Two important notes. Uh, One, the guy who plays Jean-Luc Picard in this is a gentleman by the name of Giles Aston, who is not a porn actor. He does not shoot a sex scene in this. He is stunt dicked by the guy who plays Data. Really? Uh, yes. That's why he got uh, this is what, for two scenes. I was like, what the hell's going on there? Yeah, it was. That's why it was also shot POV. So you didn't know it wasn't it wasn't the guy playing uh, Picard. Interesting. And he got found as a potential actor in this uh, by uh, the Sam Hain, the director, after he saw him at a TNG uh convention as a sort of stand in slash uh, you know impersonator of patrick stewart and asked him to do it and uh i i got into the lore behind the creation is because obviously uh, there had to be some real fucking love behind everybody (laughs) who did this like the way stevie described is like this man loves two things in life star trek the next generation and titties (laughs) like that is it (laughs) like to to have made this thing that's very interesting joe because let me tell you what much much to my amazement, and I'm sure you're shocked, there is no memory alpha entry. For oh wow! I, you know, I am shocked. That's I. I kind of had an inclination though, because that's why I did independent research, and there was actually a Gizmodo article that a couple of Gizmodo articles that were written <laughs> about this as it was being made, and it includes uh, some interviews with the uh, the stat uh, the the cast, including uh, Giles Aston and. You know, he describes like, yeah, I was pretty cautious about doing it, but, you know, he really the director like wrote this script a year before and like really, really wanted to do it. Apparently he just all this guy has ever done is sci fi porn like that's his shtick. Uh, So like he did an X file. He did a couple X files ones. Uh, You know, this is this is where he was. He was kind of active there for a few years. He didn't do a lot. Uh, He had like. A half dozen credits total, uh, but they were all uh, sci-fi porn combos, and uh, he he sold them on this uh, pretty hard, and uh, talked him into doing it. And I just uh, I just want to say, like, thank God, yeah, he's <laughs> obviously the the anchor because he's a we'll call him a semi-professional actor. Hmm. Um, one other meta note. Uh, special double plus uh, props to uh, this guy Xander Corvus who played Data. I was stunned at how good he did. <laughs> Everybody else is at different levels of porn acting ability, some higher than others. Uh, but the guy who played Data, I he was nearly as good as the guy playing as uh, the guy playing Picard, in my opinion. He, uh, I don't want to go too deep in my my notebook of spoilers, but I do specifically say that this guy 
was able to pull off the look and the the mannerisms of data to agree that I had a better feeling walking out of this than I did in the data CG from the Picard sizzlers we've seen so far. He he even avoid using contractions. I know. I was trying to catch him too, Same here. I was waiting. I was checking everyone. I'm like, holy shit. And the guy has the stamina of a fucking machine. Yeah, a whole literally, yikes. literally. Yikes. Literally. We'll get to that. Anyway. We'll so it it starts on the music, I guess is the first thing to mention. Like I don't know if they got like a bunch of discount tracks that sound like stuff that could be in sci-fi or what or or how it is they came to the rights of the stuff. But the music is very like it feels like it could be in a Star Trek episode in an elevator. Yeah, like it's like Star Trek elevator. I want to ask you this, Joe, going into watching it. What was your mindset? Like I had to sit down to myself and say, how am I going to watch this fucking thing? Am I going to just sit back and and kind of like watch a porn and and you know have some jokes to go about it or am i going to treat this like a professional <laughs> a, a consummate professional nerd with my notepad ready to go and put this through the same stringent standards that i hold every fucking voyager episode that we watch up to this point point. and finally i said to myself i'm i'm going to go full nerd on this man i'm i'm not going to pull any punches and i'm going to put this thing through the the most strict uh, microscope evaluation that I could. I started out in the position of this is going to be a laugh. I'm going to enjoy it being a laugh and move on. And then as I noted, the incredible budget, you know, budget, const- you know, constrained uh, attention to detail. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, with the scene that, that, that what turned it around to me was the first time I saw data. And I was like, oh, that guy's really going for it. And uh, they have the f- first scene with Tasha in the ready room and they go on what I was about like a five minute uh, like dialogue scene, essentially setting up exactly where this episode occurs in continuity of TNG. I'm like, oh, holy shit. I have to Dude, treat this seriously now. <laughs> right right off the jump for me. Right. So like you said, it opens up with some some next gen elevator music. And we get a slow pan over the saucer section of I'm flipping back and forth. If it's a toy or a model, it's going to be I'll like be, an Eagle Moss model or something like that. That's what I it looks like. It's a full size model that they built themselves and even drilled the like windows out so they could backlight certain rooms in the saucer section. They've got a model. They have pulled the saucer section back on the model. So it looks like the secondary hull, like where the battle bridge is, right? It looks like they have attached that to where the captain's yacht would be on the saucer section. So it's obviously the Enterprise, but it's not specifically the Enterprise. And this is something we actually talked about back in Vis-a-Vis, that even CBS, Paramount, and whoever else is involved with uh, the Star Trek franchises, because there's so many different rights holders everywhere that Star Trek Discovery, when they show the Enterprise at the end of uh, season one, it's a different version of the Enterprise than we've ever seen before. There's extra fins, there's extra hull plating and stuff. It's no Enterprise we've ever seen because of copyright stuff. So even Star Trek itself has to like duck its own copyright protections. And then here you've got a porn with a Star Trek Enterprise model just kind of offset a little bit 
and it's enough to to slide by whatever the lawyers are able to do. And I got to say, man, seeing a physical model on the screen where we've been getting pure CGI from everything Voyager lately, I'm like, that looks good. I like this. I, it's low budget. It's corny. I like this more than hokey CGI. I, I, it is very budget. The whole production is very budget, but they still managed to maximize in so many ways what they could do with it to the level of like, this is just like the most impressive fan film I have ever seen. That's like the level I put it on. I've, I've yeah. consumed some some fan films in the past, uh, and this probably is at the top of the heap. Like, edit the porn out, just do the plot line. It is, it is definitely top tier fan, uh, fan film material. My regret is having watched the opening credits because it throws some spoilers in there that I think I would have gotten a really hard laugh from had I not known what was coming up. The first four minutes, almost like a regular episode of Voyager, like there's so much good world building in the first four minutes alone of this thing. They, they do the slow pan over the model and then they throw you like uh, some CGI. There's some CGI of the Enterprise. It's in orbit. It's backlit. So you can't really see details. And I think, again, that's them like obfuscating the stuff that can get them in copyright protection problems. But within the first four minutes, we get a captain's log. And in, in the first four minutes, I do probably half an hour of research in fucking memory alpha, man. I am, I am absolutely giddy and I am nothing but regretful that I chose to start this little adventure of mine at one twelve in the morning. <laughs> but to be fair, where I can normally watch an episode of Voyager with my kids crawling all over me, this was a special requirement that required, uh, <laughs> required to everyone to be asleep. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Me to be alone in, in the basement, like a true turbo nerd. So let's frame this thing, right? Because according to our version of captain, uh, Picard, we're getting treated to the star date is four, six, five, four, three point two. We've discussed before that there is a method to star dates and is the second number in the star date. In this case, six, four, six, that references sixth season. And I went on Memory Alpha, Joe, and I found out that this specific event in canon falls between uh, the face of the enemy, which was where Deanna Troy becomes a Romulan Tel Shiar operative. Uh-huh. Uh, Tapestry, which never actually got a star date. Tapestry is where Picard, his heart dies out. Q right. comes and, like sucks him out of uh, It's a wonderful life. Right, right, right. Makes him Lieutenant Junior Grade Picard. And uh, Birthright Part 1, which is a pretty important episode because that's where Next Gen launches Deep Space Nine. Uh, War finds out about the Kidmer um, survivor camp and Data has some stupid dreams about his dad and nightmares. So uh, that's where we're, we're setting this thing up. And we find out that the Enterprise is on route to Starbase 112, which uh, you might remember as... Earlier in season six, the Enterprise picked up Amanda Rogers, uh, which was the Q born of other Qs on uh, on Earth. And her parents were killed by the continuum with some hurricanes. We've talked about Amanda Rogers heavily um, because of fucking Q in the gray, which is a piece of shit. Oh, God, yes. 
But I'm like, already, right off the jump, it's like they gave a legit star date and a, a legit star basis, 112. And I'm like, holy fucking shit, man. And, and they specifically picked a time where everything they referenced has long since occurred so that it makes sense, which is what I thought was so clever. Is when we, as they go through the plot, everything that they say occurred in the past actually occurred in the past of that star date. That is some fucking nerd shit right there. Absolutely. And uh, we find out that on their way to Starbase 112, uh, the Enterprise picked up some tachyon radiation off of a planet on the border of the neutral zone. And that Data's leading a way team mission to check out what's going on. And we get a shot of Data and two goons shooting phasers at something. And did you notice what was behind them, Joe? No, I didn't. You that the 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 the. Scene location they were filming on didn't strike you over the head. I mean, it did look exactly like Southern California, like every other planet, of course, which I always appreciate. But was it a specific Trek location, bro? It's an M class planet. Those are the Gorn battle rocks of Vasquez rocks. That's where Kirk fought the fucking Gorn. Oh, my God. They actually picked that spot out. That is amazing. It is amazing. I mean, and that's again, this is the first four minutes and they've already packed more continuity and self-reference into the first four minutes of this porn than Voyager did in the first two seasons of its own. Existence. <laughs> uh, the, this opening scene is where you really got start to get a sense that they're trying because it is not just the references, but uh, all of the guys do, I think, a do their best. Uh, as far as their acting capacity is concerned to be their characters. But the standout, as I mentioned before, is Xander Corvus's data uh, among the porn guys, because uh, he's playing probably the most challenging character. He's in this makeup. He's got the contacts on, you know, they've got the bargain basement TNG outfits that, you know, they look like it. Uh, but he is managing to master the sort of staccato way that he moves his head and talk and his intonation in a way that is, demonstrates that he is doing his, you know, he's doing his damnedest and uh, earns my respect that uh, we're on, off to something here. And as they're investigating there on the planet, they find a cryostasis pod, crack it open and discover none other than Tasha Yar in the flesh inside. Oh, the second discovery is when they flip back up to the bridge shop. And we're treated to a screen full of Roe Laren. And I'm like, oh, damn. Roe looking good. <laughs> Roe Laren's a very interesting character to me in Star Trek because it's so easy, for whatever reason, for me to forget that she ever existed. You always remember Wesley. You always remember uh, Pul Pulaski and Guyna. But for whatever reason, man, like Roe Laren just does not stand out in my head as main cast she was a rake i mean she was a semi-regular there last three seasons yeah and uh i i michelle forbes who's the actress who played her is such a pro you know like played the character with this ease that was immediately arresting i loved like the little subplots they built in for her particularly the when they all had their memories wiped so she fucked Riker. 
<laughs> like because they were attacking I, my to money each other. was on that actually happening in this scene i was so in for that like yeah. oh she's they're totally gonna go there i thought it was gonna be uh, a three-way with her and troy but you know the opportunities man obviously they should have you know they should have called us you know then when when <laughs> sam was <laughs> writing this up he should have like hold on guys i need i need to punch this up i'm like you're missing an opportunity here for for uh, a three-way action that's very in canon at this stage of the show yeah uh but uh yeah like she is she is like the fifth beetle of tng of that character that was was really important but you also forget i i agree with you i think it's because you don't ever hate her and you do hate wesley and you do hate pulowski uh it keeps you at the forefront, right? They're easy jokes. And both those characters certainly have great qualities about them too. But like, there's no point where you're ever like, Oh God, not another row Laren episode or whatever. And just because it's always this welcome addition, you know, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. Her character is never bad. It never stands out. And it's easy. I think to, to ultimately kind of forget about her. The show never like didn't have a rebel. And so like they brought her on and it was like the right amount of rebel. Of like, I've seen some shit and you guys don't impress me very much, but I also will learn to respect you because you know what you're doing, you know? Yeah. It, it struck the right code. But yeah, she's she's there, too, which is appropriate to the time frame as we're talking about sixth season. And uh, they have a, uh, I guess, a, another captain's log discussing the situation, but they actually cut to the first setup for the sex scene. Well, at this point, I want to point out that there's really only one sin and continuity of this entire episode that I was able to find. And as we mentioned before, Troy, she's wearing like the old kind of like lavender jumpsuit, which at this point, if we remember, uh, she's chain of command, which is where, you know, there are four lights. Picard gets captured and captain jellica is running the ship yeah and she wears her normal uniform from that point forward yeah you're right but you know if you're gonna make a porn uh this is the right place i didn't even think of it because it's like you're not going to to put your troy person in a not low-cut dress if you're doing this like it didn't even enter my mind that they would like i don't even count that as a sin that's just the price of I doing business. It was a sin. i'm just saying it was a continuity here um while Data's making his report about finding uh, Tasha Yar down on the surface, we also get our first real view of the bridge, which will be the setup for, like you said, the first sex scene here. Here's the real sin of this production, Joe. These motherfucking chairs. <laughs> the office chairs? <laughs> fucking god-awful chairs. How... How are you going to put all this love and work into this? And then you've got some straight up ugly ass beige computer chairs that make up the three command seats that Riker, Troy and Picard are sitting on. And then any other time in the rest of the episode, they need a chair somewhere. It's one of these chairs. You know, they spent all their money on getting those uniforms, man. They got to they got to they got to pay for that makeup on data. You know, they got to do the they got to do the, the Klingon makeup. On the on wharf, like you gotta save that money somewhere, and they saved it on the chairs and Jordy's quote unquote oh, visor. Dude, you don't please don't spoil the that I fucking mean, gym. 
So uh, but before we get there, though, they they set up the, the first sex scene, which is technically taking place on the holodeck, but is a holodeck recreation of the bridge so that uh, Riker and Troy uh, can have the most predictable sex scene of all time. Uh, and we already mentioned, like, every one of these scenes follows the exact same pattern of start with blowjob, work your way through every standard sex position, uh, 20 minutes later, uh, finish with a pearl necklace. So I want to add on something you said earlier, like how crazy it is to see old traditional porn like this, like in, in a world yeah. of Brazzers and more gonzo style, aggressive, free flowing porn out there now to see like an old studio production like this like yeah absolutely who would sit around and watch an entire porn scene i have to imagine that these formats were built with the expectation people were like fast forwarding around but by comparison to like 2019 porn just like super boring and and i'm not saying that to like knock this production specifically but like that old style that like brazzlers and bang bros and everybody else like kind of drag the whole industry into and this is where i think having like solon around to really flesh that stuff out yeah it's- i agree if matt if matt were here he could probably tell fill in that detail for us but you know maybe we'll maybe we'll have another opportunity there's a lot of tng porn parodies there's a lot of t there's a lot of porn parodies of trek in general out there um and maybe there's an opportunity in the future to get input on that but yeah it is very feels archaic yes it feels quaint it's like fi- finding your dad's playboy like Really? This is how it used to work? I want to say to Riker specifically, this guy they got playing him, I think his name's Rocco Reed. Second to Data and and Picard, it's clear this guy watched some TNG. And really all of the actors, I think I'll say, like at one point or another, everybody who has a role in this throws some sort of facial expression or hand gesture, especially in like Jordy's case, like Jordy's hand gestures are on point every scene he's in. But Riker throws a Riker lookout. And it it struck me pretty good. I think it's when uh, they specifically call out that it's Tasha Yar down there. I was like, man, that's that's a good Riker look. So, yeah, he meets up with Troy. Uh, Troy's like, yeah, we got Tasha Yar on the ship and she's, you know, sleeping. Um, it's rough, but I wanted to blow off whatever's going on there. So I didn't miss our date. And they're handing out on the holodeck. And I'm like, oh, good. Where are we going to go with this? And once you know that dog, Riker, he calls up fucking the bridge. <laughs> I could fuck you on any place in the entire world with the power of the uh, holodeck. And we are going to have workplace sex. <laughs> I act- it's a fetish even in the 24th century. <laughs> I actually skipped around to make sure that uh, the video copy I had of this was good. And this was a scene that I skipped into. And I remember like those just. Again, it's just quality control, making sure the video wasn't messed up. I was like, man, they're having sex on the bridge. Like, how stupid is this porn? Like, the bridge is always going to be staff. Like, there's no reason why they would be able to have sex on the bridge. I was so pleasantly surprised. There's a totally legit reason why they're having sex on the bridge. <laughs> and as soon as she, like, drops down and takes his pants off, the first question pops in my head. It's like, is Riker going to have the audacity to bang Troy in his boss's chair? Spoiler the answer. <laughs> spoiler alert he do <laughs> absolutely i also like uh troy give him a hard time about the uh the goatee which yes yes that was a beautiful note of continuity because that comes up in the movie remember in insurrection where he, she she doesn't like his name with the beard yeah like again just fucking choice like 
this dude knows his trek nearly as well as he knows how to produce a well shot porn from the early part of the decade. Yeah. Excellent job. Joe, uh, do you think at any point they offered Jonathan Frakes this role? <laughs> I, do, I, I do doubt that. I, I, I think that uh, he's got a little too much paunch to, to necessarily want you, to Joe. How dare I mean, He's living his best life. I hey, I got paunch. It's fine. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, you know, when you got that going, you don't necessarily want to be filmed with your shirt off. I'm just well, none of these guys are filmed there. with their shirt off. So like that's an important. That's true. You got a good point. That's true. Yeah, they they always keep their their uniform tops. I guess for except for Worf. Like, yeah, he's got like a wife beater. Um, yeah. So these uniforms too. I mean, they're not the best. They're not very clear, like rubies or one of the other big. Um, you know, movie prop ones like these are homemade and they've replaced the standard uh, uh, Starfleet Delta com badge with like an oval a gold oval, which I I thought that was ugly. And then they got, you know, black. It, black. it makes them look like they're all like concierges at some bargain hotel. Yeah. You know, it's where their name tag. Is. And, you know, in that doesn't that kind of follow Trek continuity? It looks like they're in a Holiday Inn Express the whole time. It's true. Yeah, it does go to the conference room. Um they the that scene ends and we get a pretty they, good look at the bridge too. Like while they're literally screwing around, um, for who knows how long it took for them to film this thing. But I thought they built a pretty legit looking bridge, and you know you get to see some pretty good details because they're zoomed up on you know her butt or whatever his bong, <laughs> right? And instead I'm her, looking at her stereotypically bad porn tattoo. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, instead I'm like, Oh, what, what do they do with the, the wheels on the chairs that they take those off or how'd they do the ramp up to security? <laughs> the things you have to focus on when you're like 15 minutes into this and you're like, I, I am not aroused. So what else is happening? <laughs> What's happening is Troy's hair was legit as hell. That yeah, wig I mean, that, was a plus. Yeah, it's either that was either she just grew it out or that was a great wig they rented. Either way, solid. They they nailed Troy hair. Actually nailed everyone's kind of style. Yeah. Um, Roe in particular as well. Yeah, yeah. Like her makeup, her the the shit on the bridge of her nose for her Bajoran um, racial features. Super good. Uh, Missed on the earring though. Did not have her earring. That's the only uh, costuming. It wasn't as. Was it? it there yeah, was an earring. There were not enough chains. Yeah, I guess that's what it didn't look quite right. But um, uh, if anybody's wondering, fit- uh, Riker has command burgundy underwear. <laughs> that's important detail. Yeah. That's true. We get to see that. And, well, it set a precedent. Now I'm like, wait a minute. So is everybody going to have a, a division color themed underwear? But unfortunately, it was only Riker who got the the burgundy command underwear and rightfully so. Um, So they have their their little uh, hump date all over this terrible burgundy computer chair situation that they've got on the bridge. I kind of felt Riker Riker literally gets number one into number two. I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, it's a good time all around. I. You telling me that this Giles guy who played Picard not being a porn dude. Um, I, I hope they wipe those chairs down real good for him, seeing as how he was the guest talent. 
<laughs> like make sure he, make sure they do all of the non-porn scenes before they do the yeah. porn scenes. <laughs> get him off. Get him off the. Uh, get him off the set. Really, right. I had right. no idea that wasn't him performing in that. Yeah, yeah, that was one of his stipulations. He was not going to do any sex. So on camera. Uh, <laughs> true. You never know. Keep that uh, uh, closed. Uh, the the next scene is the big exposition scene. That is the one that sets up like the plot. And uh, it is uh, Tashiar wakes up. Um, Troy uh, takes her to the ready room to talk to Captain Picard. I should point out now the ladies are a weaker in the acting department than the guys for sure. Uh, Tashiar is an exception. I think she does an excellent job of trying to play the character played by porn legend India Summer. Uh, it's worth pointing out who I I remember uh, playing the uh, porn parody version of Sarah Palin uh, back when that was a relevant uh, pop culture thing to be doing. Porn parody of uh, Palin that I am the most familiar with is Lisa Ann. So I can't really say I'm familiar with India Summers uh, on that. I, I did want before we move into this ready room scene, which is a legit ass scene. I did want to say two more things to the Riker Troy scene. I do like that at the end. She drops uh, an Imzadi on him. Yep. And that was, oh, yeah. that was the fun of the porn scenes to me was like going through and like trying to listen for dialogue, like who's staying in character. And I was really surprised that they let him swear in this. It, it made the movie kind of fall apart a little bit here and like Troy or crush me like, Oh fuck. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you still watching porn, dude. I like, know, but they, are you? they've got a they've got to cater to what the people who are watching this for porn are looking for. I don't know, man. I, I think I think they should have kept it a uh, fit for TV. Also, big missed opportunity here to to fulfill a, a, a Internet um, legend. I, I was like, God, when they dismiss this holodeck production, are they going to show nut dropping on the floor? <laughs> And they didn't, and I resent them for not doing it. There's several holodeck sex scenes, uh, none of which get the old um, leftover. The nut drop. Yeah. Um, uh, but but yes, the uh, they have the big dialogue scene in Picard's ready room, uh, which is done up with a nice detail of, I guess, like a little uh, decal on the wall where Livingston's, uh, uh, you know, aquarium is supposed to Dr. be. Livingston the fish, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so like they the it's bargain, but it looks you know exactly where they are. That's where we find out that this Tashi Yar is the Tashi Yar from yesterday's Enterprise, specifically. The one that Sila is the daughter of, and that we that the viewer is assumed is dead based on what Sila had previously said. Obviously, as they recount in this dialogue, Sila is an untrustworthy you know, Romulan, and therefore apparently Tashiar was not dead and in fact survived her escape attempt uh, and was, for whatever reason, rendered inert in a cryostasis tube. Super legit. The, I mean, this this is such a good setup that this legitimately could have been an episode of TNG. Like, and I mean that in the, in the warmest possible way. Like, if the writers had come up with this idea and delivered on this plot, that would have been cool you know would have been very very appropriate to what they set up with all of this stuff which 
is a big compliment to the Sam Hain guy that he was dialed in enough that he figured out a plot that where it would fit in the timeline, how it would fit in the timeline, and that used the and established his continuity. And then he establishes that continuity in his fucking porn. Yeah. But he spends the time to do it and make sure that he, he puts out enough there that if you've never seen in the episodes, you would know. But, you know, God for like, I could not imagine following that if you didn't already know TNG. You know what I yeah. mean? So, I mean, they call out the Enterprise C by name. They say that this Tashiar is not from our universe, but in fact, what they it, it's an alternate timeline, right? So, and, and this is interesting to me to think that there are two Tashiars out there, right? There is the Tashiar timeline who dies to Armas Skin of Evil, and then there's the Tashiar alternate timeline who is a completely separate person. Like, yeah, it's an alternate timeline, but it may as well be a separate universe. So yesterday's Enterprise was season three, episode 15. And that's where she splits off into the separate timeline. The last Sela episode that we got, and again, Sela is her half Romulan daughter, which was also portrayed by um, uh, Denise Crosby. And, uh, you know, a, a nod to the production of this when they do finally break Sela out later on, they have uh, the same act. India Summer. Yeah. Rightfully yeah. Play portraying it, Play that as well. Um, but the last time we see Sela is um, Unification Part 2. That's the Spock episode. And that was Season 5, Episode 8, Stardate 452.45.8. So all of the Sela that we could possibly ever have any information to. And that's the last time we see Sela, period, in all Star Trek. Uh, this happens after that. And... Like you said, the continuity is there. Like everybody who's talking in the ready room is using legit in character knowledge that they have gained. Because keep in mind, like Picard and Data end up in a room with Spock and Sela and kind of like go back and forth and talk to her and interrogate her on stuff. And this all just fits like a glove. There's another big detail in this scene I want to call out too because it was fucking amazing to me. Not only do you have the Dr. Livingston fish tank, not only do you have a slightly altered stargazer model in the corner but did you check out the back of picard's chair i did not dude he straight up has the tapestry hanging over the back of his chair that the mintakins gave him at the end of that proto vulcan episode who watches the watchers oh that's great i mean we do see of course near the end when he busts <laughs> out the flute yeah uh i mean that 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 i certainly noticed i did not Man, every detail in this is just lovingly crafted. Like everybody knows they're not the flute, but like the fucking Metakin tapestry. And, you know, it's bootleg. It's just a piece of red cloth with some black duct tape on it. But I knew what it was supposed to be. And I was like, damn, dude, like, fuck yeah. <laughs> not not only do you have the Metakin tapestry, but you, like you said, you just laid out a super legit, plausible uh, series of events for, you know, and I never really cared for, uh, Tasha Yar in the first couple seasons until they dragged her back out for yesterday's enterprise. And all of a sudden she became one of the most interesting characters in star Trek history. So all this fits in. I will say that I cannot get behind. I don't know if it's a wig or the actress's hair that it's portraying Tasha Yar, but like her whole look just does not work for me. They've got her in like yeah, the, this X-Men leather the, the, jacket. The, the wig is bad. The wig is super bad. Um, but and I don't understand why she wouldn't be in a uniform. 
Yeah. Right. They find her in what appears to be a uniform, but we don't get a very good shot of it. I kind of like the look she throws out when uh, Data's like, yeah, CeeLo's, uh, you know, not the most trustworthy, whatever. And like, she's kind of got this look on her face like, don't you call my baby a liar? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, when, when they come back out, it's the senior staff is assembled. And that is when we see uh, uh, more closely uh, a couple more important uh, members of the crew. Uh, that being uh, Jordy and Worf. Uh, War- I have no complaints about the Worf makeup. They, you know, they do the sash. Uh, but boy, oh boy, the poor guy playing Jordy, who, like every other guy in this, does an excellent job of trying to capture Jordy's sort of mannerisms and casual way of yes. talking uh, compared to everybody else. But the quote visor they give him is instead he kind of he he he's got that the same kind of like eyeglasses on that uh krang's like battle mech body had i'll tell you exactly you remember from uh, Ninja when, Turtles? I, when you're okay. a kid and you would go to a birthday party at your cousin's house or whatever and the parent throwing the party would go to the party store and buy like the big cellophane bag just full of crap to throw on the tables at the parties and there were always these these fucking glasses that were very clearly supposed to be Jordy's visor from Star Trek. And it's just that that hair band with a little piece of plastic to look through. And it looked like complete shit. Like. I don't know the right way. I would have been happier if they would have just had the old what were they called? Banana clips. That's what the visor was based Uh, off was right, right. Because this thing looks so bad. They found the most non-threatening black man in all of porn to portray Jordy. And it worked. And it. It was a perfect choice. Uh, in fact, uh, they, they're they introducing Jordy and giving him some dialogue because the next sex scene is actually his. Because uh, he remarks that he wants to try and help put a puzzle together of Tasha's reappearance. And he's got this idea that if he goes to the holodeck and uh, puts together a simulation, he might be able to figure it out. Which, of course, is a callback to when he did so to bail the Enterprise out of accidentally getting blown up next to the ancient spaceship. Booby trap. You know, it's yeah, booby trap. And well, speaking of boobies, uh, he heads down to the holodeck and activates his Leia Brahms uh, program. Uh, First, it's hilarious because they just like immediately start having Mm. sex. Like there's no there's no further dialogue. It's just. We're going to take it to to Bangtown, but it is a uh, perfect example of what you and I have talked about as we viewed Voyager. And that is more explicit in T in, uh, in DS nine, that this is something that happens like in universe. But uh, yeah, the holographic bang bot is very real. And so uh, Jordy not being very successful with the ladies, of course, if we're going to have the uh, Jordy character in the porn parody bang, it's going to have to be with his uh, holographic sex bot. Certainly not with a real. So let's talk about Jordy real quick. Uh, this guy kills it. His mannerisms, his hand gestures, the way he talks. I didn't think that Worf was really that great uh, in his portrayal. I think out of the entire cast, if there's one person yeah, he who was wasn't thrilled about yeah being an alien in a star trek parody it was probably that guy but the dude they got for jordy you could tell he did his homework and everything about jordy minus this fucking visor is amazing uh like you said before there's there's some concerns about why is tasha yar suddenly reappearing next to the neutral zone of all places right and there's this real 
Right. Suspicious yeah, there's this real hell. frank discussion, like right on the bridge. Like, I get you're not going to make the conference room set piece, but at least have this scene like off in the ready room. So, you know, Ensign, nobody's not hearing what these guys are saying. Also, very suspiciously absent from like the big reunion scene is Dr. Crusher. We only get one scene with Crusher. It's at the very end. I have to wonder if like the actress was sick or there was something else weird and they had to like adapt the script for it. But back to Jordy. There's a lot of faithful Jordy stuff going on here. Jordy has always been very quick to, I'm going to work this out on the holodeck. He did it in Booby Trap, like you said. Um, the one where uh, people are getting abducted. The one where there's like um, the fucking guys that are like purple with glowing blue veins. You remember that? Like, that was a really yes. creepy episode. Like, there was something on a colony. And there were like the computer was able to like notice shadowy figures moving around where there were like sensor holes. And in a stroke of continuity to that too, Starbase 112, which is where they picked up Amanda Rogers. That's where that whole fucking scene played out with uh, those ultraviolet creatures. But Jordy always goes to the holodeck to work the stuff out. And man, when they popped, and this is why I regretted watching the credits, like pulling Leah Brahms, a character that only appears twice in the entire series, three times if you count uh, non sequitur, they name dropper on Harry Kim's Cochran Award, and to throw her in the porn for Jordy specifically, like how fucking lulzy is that? I mean, and I will say at this point, Davis, this guy, this guy has established such credibility with his Trek knowledge that this almost yeah, seems easy in comparison to be like, okay, we got to have every major ep- uh, character in TNG yeah. fucking this thing. Uh, what the, you know, okay, so we've got the Riker Troy done. Uh, eventually we're going to have Worf fuck Roe because it's just like that's that's a pairing that Works we can up. make work. Okay. Uh, Tasha, Data, absolutely easy. Uh, Picard and Beverly, absolutely. Who does Jordy fuck? Oh, no. Uh, and then you think, oh, yeah, the only character that we ever see him romantically really involved with is a hologram. We doing that. So he calls in this hologram to help him. And in this point, too, uh, the last time we saw her was I can't remember the episode name, but this in in the star date chronology is after her second appearance where Jordy meets the real Leia Brahms. They fight. And they eventually find a mutual respect to each other. Right. And we also find out that Jordy discovers that she is married, happily married. So this is some pretty odd, like high audacity stuff for Jordy to continue to hump this holographic recreation of a married woman who has said, I object to you having a holographic representation of me that you are very clearly getting attached to. You know, side uh, two side interesting pieces about Leah Brahms. She was born on 9-11-2336, so interesting pick a date there. But also in All Good Things, the alternate timeline future, Jordy LaForge in that is actually married to Leah Brahms. So like Jordy straight up home wrecks her shit and, and ends up taking her. Yep. Um, but we could say that this is his infatuation with Leah Brahms, or I'm going to go back to my earlier theory that I, I brought up a while ago, that this is not Leah Brahms, that, that this is the ship, that the enterprise is a sentient thing. The enterprise 
likes Jordy LaForge. The Enterprise realizes Jordy is a very lonely man, and the J- Enterprise is reaching out through this holographic puppet to bond with its engineer. If you remember at the end of uh, Galaxy's Child, that was season four, episode 16, Jordy uh, didn't want to be just friends. Uh, and she drops on him. Oh, no, no, no. That, that, yeah, that was it. That was the last time we saw Leah Brahms was that Galaxy's Child. Booby right. Trap was the one where um, he really had this close connection with the hologram. And she says to him, like verbatim, uh, I'm with you every day. Every time you look at the engine, you're looking at me. Every time you touch it, it's me. If that's not the ship talking directly to him and him knowing that she's married and that she doesn't approve of any of this stuff. I think he knows, like, I think it's a sentient hologram. I think this is the will of the ship. And I think that this is Jordy literally fucking the Enterprise. Fucking the ship. Yeah. No, that is a legit interpretation. I mean, we've talked before about the the idea of the ship computers being so sophisticated and how it is that they process information that their sentience seems kind of an a normal byproduct. The fact that they can have programs so sophisticated that the programs themselves can be sentient, i.e. the doctor, i.e. Professor Moriarty. And just by asking for it, remember Moriarty was created on accident when Jordy asked for a program that could Jordy, someone with a history of accidentally creating sentient things. This is absolutely a sentient hologram. This is the enterprise. Yes. Great point. Yeah. So an interpretation of, this scene, it's specifically being Jordy having sex with the ship, I think is entirely valid. Um, although we are an hour into talking about this and uh, we are barely started. Um, so to move past this particular scene, uh, the next uh, scene is actually one of my favorite dialogue scenes. Uh, it is Data and Tasha talking in Tasha's quarters about who Tasha was in this timeline. So they make you think that this is going to be the sex scene, right? Like they're going to fuck. They do not fuck. And instead is entirely dialogue driven. And uh, I guess it's worth pointing out that uh, Troy did tell uh, uh, Tasha that in this timeline, Tasha was sexually involved with data, which occurred in the naked now. So that is true. It is the uh, one time between now and uh, first contact that uh, Data uses his sexual functions. And uh, so I guess that's. get within first contact? The Borg Queen. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah they're having the, uh, the discussion that's more or less a who were you? What was your relationship with everybody? And the guy, again, playing Data manages to convey everything. This is where I was really checking to see if he was using contractions, by the way. And he specifically does not a couple times when it's been easy to do so, you know, conveys like the importance of Tasha to him and and to everyone else. And it's very cool. Like I could easily have seen Denise Crosby and Brett Spiner having this exact scene almost verbatim. I like Yar saying a couple of things in this one that, you know, the only person she's really had a chance to interact with has been Troy, but she never knew Troy and her alternate timeline with the Federation at war with the um, Klingons. There was no need for a counselor, which through our exploration of the trauma going on in Voyager, I would say the absolute opposite would be necessary that, you know, in a time of war, you do need that medical health professional. 
Um, but it's it's a it's a very interesting moment because in yesterday's Enterprise, Guinan and Tasha have these conversations, and Guinan's like, "You do not belong in now. You should be dead. You should not." be a part of this universe and that's what convinces her to go back on the enterprise c through the rift to fight the romulans um what, what that wasn't kittimer that was uh what battle it was, was that it was the was that battle it was, yeah it was that kittimer and the the thing that gets her to do it is Guinan saying i know you i she didn't know how he died it's like i know it was a senseless death yeah and Tasha goes to the captain saying, we are all kind of in agreement at this point that Guinan knows something's happened and she knows I died a senseless death. I want to go back with the sea so that my death can have meaning. Yeah. Because I'm uh, not going to exist if this works anyway. So why don't I go back and make sure this shit actually works? So the last time we see Tasha Yar was her feeling like she didn't ultimately fit into a world. And, and that's what we've returned to here is that she is this product of an alternate timeline of war and strife and and death and here she is in a you know post-scarcity federation utopia where she still feels disconnected like it's hard to say like oh i feel bad for this character in a pornography but they do a pretty good job of putting sympathy on her that just like and that'll become the theme through the rest of this in, uh, entire episode is that like poor tasha like Tasha is made to suffer. It doesn't matter what the story is. Ultimately, she will not find peace. And and she even, uh, you know, talks about like Sila and trying to raise her with human values, but she knew it didn't take. And then uh, in a great continuity note, again, Data says, well, you know, I, there happens to be something that would be very useful for you to see to contextualize your place among the crew. Uh, you recorded a message uh, for the crew to see that we saw upon your death, why don't we go watch that? Which, of course, is the thing that happened. Like in the episode, she died. That that is a, occurred. And Pretty gruesome, huh? To like be like, hey, you want to see your own eulogy? <laughs> so uh, they they go to the holodeck to do that, and this is where we actually get to the uh, a uh, top notch racism on the part of Tasha Yar, who hates right. Klingons. Uh, but remarking that she's personally killed hundreds of them, some with her bare hands, because, of course, she is from a timeline in which they were at war with the Klingons, uh, because they encounter uh, Roloran and uh, Worf having a sparring match. I will say that this is definitely the worst Star Trek fighting ever. Uh, uh, is it, though? It is. It is. I... This is the worst Star Trek fighting ever. I'm willing to die on that hill. I will take Space Cat throwing Kroman Jonas into space hell 20 times out of 10, this was bad. <laughs> I I disagree, Joe. I think that Kate Mulgrew is such a bad physical actor that any of the scenes where she has had to like fight people has been comically worse. Um, I think it's been bad, but I don't think it's this bad. You know what? This is the new this this will be the new measuring stick that that we pull out anytime there's a Star Trek Voyager fight, and we're like, God, how bad was that? Was it worse than the porn? And I think I think you're going to be surprised that there'll be a few times that that does not hold true. Um, but yeah, man, Yar comes out and she's just like, 
uh, fuck you, Worf. I, I love killing Klingons, and and uh, now I'm gonna try and fight you in your own dojo here. Yeah, uh, let's let's fucking throw down, and and she loses, which I thought was interesting, and yeah. uh, and and kind of like leaves with wounded pride, and uh, Ro Lauren gets super turned on. Uh, apparently from uh, Worf uh, exerting his dominance. He does, I will say the best line from Worf, which was it would be a great Worf line if it was delivered by someone with more enthusiasm, I think it would have really resonated, which is everyone is celebrating, you know, the return of Tashi Yar. I still celebrate my friend's death, or I still mourn my friend's death. Yes. And and it it's that is like a perfect Worf line of, because... That's actually, I think, reflective of Worf's attitude towards Dax in DS9. So this guy's such a nerd. He looked at Worf's history in that show and how he dealt with essentially the resurrection of a loved one in that show when Jadzia turned into Ezri and he was married to Jadzia and everybody was like welcoming Ezri with open arms and where he was like, no, no, Dax is dead. This is a different person. I am not welcoming this person into my life because my wife is dead. You are not her, right? And that this a- attitude is reflected in that line. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Too bad this guy just is a shitty actor and can't quite get there on on making that work. It's a cool. But, uh, it's a cool comparison of of characters. Worf being subservient to Yar, having the respect there. And I thought that when Worf got his promotion to lieutenant and chief of security, it was so bittersweet. Like he didn't earn it. He didn't achieve it. It's just the person that had the job over him died and he couldn't even be happy that he got the promotion because it was at the cost of a, a good friend. And yeah, very smart of this episode that when this person comes back and it's such a a much darker and a much more hateful person. And that he's the only one who can see it in that moment just because of the racial difference there. Uh, I was surprised. You know, I started reading up a little bit on Ro Laren. She exits Next Generation Season 7, Episode 24, where she fully defects over the Maquis. I was yeah, damn una- near the end. Yeah. I was unaware that she was supposed to be the uh, the 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 lead Bajoran that Kieran Reese took over in Deep Space Nine, and that she turned it down. Yep. Yeah, that that was written that that uh, was written for her specifically, uh, intended to be her. And uh, Michelle Forbes did not want to do like regular TV work. She wanted to continue to have kind of the option to do different creative projects. She's a she's she's like that kind of consummate professional. Like she didn't want to be tied into a a long term contract, so she said no. Uh, And that's where where Kira. Nuri's got birthed as a consequence. If the last time we see her is uh, that episode 24 and she does fully defect to the Maquis and we do not have any more canon appearances by her per message in a bottle when Federation uh, High Command informs Voyager through the Herogen Network that the Dominion assisted uh, Cardassians have wiped out all traces of the Maquis, uh, is Rolaren dead? In the expanded universe of Star Trek, she is not. Uh, she is not because prior to that occurring, she joined the Bajoran militia and was a lieutenant in the Bajoran militia. 
and actually rejoins Starfleet when Bajor is admitted to the Federation in the novels of DS9 that occur after DS9 occurs and uh, ultimately actually rises to be the commander of DS9 over the course of those novels. That's some real wishful fan service. It really is. She memory should be fucking beta dead. bullshit there. Yeah, that is exactly what it is. She should to be totally dead. Uh, move you over. Are correct. Move over, Wesley. There's a new Mary Sue. Uh, but here she is doing a real smart thing, and that is locking the holodeck doors because she is about to jump up on Worf since he has just handled that racist ass bitch Tasha Yar. Um, I was hoping to see Worf bite her palm. Yes. That was the only thing I was looking for was like if there was going to be at the beginning or the end any reference to uh, Klingon mating rituals, but there is not. It's just a very athletic, mostly standing, you know, sex scene. Yeah. Uh, she takes him up to Stovacor. Uh, he's all the better for the wear. We get some really good close ups on her makeup as she's uh, getting close up in her own way. Again, it's just a little bit of putty and some eyeliner drawn the ridges on, but that makeup looked legit. I was real happy with it. They they continue from there. Uh, so the next scene is a dialogue scene where they, uh, Jordy and uh, Dr. Brahms, discuss their fightings with uh, Picard and Riker about Tasha, and they suggest that Tasha has some strange tachyon radiation properties. And that she might be used as a conduit for communication. And it's speculation based on these biological readings, but they don't have a logical explanation for why this is occurring. And given all the circumstances in which they found her, uh, it seems quite likely that she is being used in some fashion by the Romulans in a nefarious way. And uh, they share those findings with the captain. And uh, he goes to investigate further after getting this assistance is that where he says goodbye to the hologram dr brahms oh no i take it back i'm sorry the jordian and holographic dr brahms figure out the solution in a brief scene then there's the data tasha yar sex scene and then that's when they they finally like close the book on uh on what's going on in terms of like tasha being manipulated so um, that sex scene what will become the sex scene starts off as uh, Tasha going back, just having gotten her ass kicked by Worf and data kind of trailing behind looking a little thirsty. And this is where she really starts opening herself up about how she doesn't feel like she belongs. And data lays a speech on her. That would be a really good speech about both of them. It's, it's good data dialogue. Like here's these facts and now I'm going to contort it and I'm going to disprove your theory and have a little emotional connection with you. Where he says, you know, you're a unique thing that's out of place in this universe, and I'm an unnatural thing that doesn't belong. And he says he's the only one, but it's like, dude, there's like lore and all the other Nunyan Soong type androids. Like, that's a pretty big fumble. But Tasha Yar don't know that. It's enough to get the clothes off and off they go. As you noted, this is a uh, this sex scene is a testament to the uh, incredible stamina of the performer uh for one key reason and that is uh he's uh he double dips on this one yeah i guess is the way you describe it uh he uh he fires off pretty early and then uh is able to continue which is 
Inhuman. Very impressive. Very, very impressive indeed. Yeah, this dude's fully uh, functional and then some. Um <laughs> he keeps his socks on. That's that's just an Android thing, I guess. He's got some black ankle socks and whatever. When you're pulling off the magic tricks this guy is, you you can keep your socks on. It's okay. Uh I continue to be pissed off by Tasha's hair. Um, but it is it's some Olympic stuff going on. High five to the Xander guy. Good job. All the while looking more legit than, like I said, the fucking CGI data from Picard. So after that, they have the the scene where Jordy breaks down his theory that uh, Tosh is being used in some fashion. And it says, hey, why don't we create a tachyon field where Riker's like, oh, like what we did uh, to during the Klingon Civil War, which is another reference, of course, to the last to the big Sela episodes that we've seen to potentially expose a Klingon cloaked ship. Should it try and tail them or otherwise communicate with Tasha using this theorized fashion of biological communication? I really like during this little explanation and investigation scene, we get a close up of the tricorder that they're using. I see the molded plastic belt clip immediately recognize it as the playmates uh, toy tricorder. But they, you know, like a lot of other stuff we see in this episode, like they use it a little different and they hold, they hold it sideways. And then uh, Leah Brahms is rocking the iPad. And like I said before, like when they finish telling Picard what's up, Picard shoots off some uh, orders. He orders Troy to take Tasha to sick bay and for um, Data to meet him over there and some other stuff. Um, and then they dismiss the hologram and yeah, Picard's straight up like, uh, see you later, Dr. Brahm. So it's like, I think at this point it's pretty well established that Jordy's banging the ship holographically. Everybody's just kind of like, eh, whatever. At least he's not being so creepy anymore. We'll, we'll respect his imaginary friends. And, uh, you know, as long as they're solving the mystery of, <laughs> of the episode, whatever. As they conclude, like, okay, so we need to lock down Tasha and figure out what's going on. Uh, They head back to the bridge and try and deploy the probes. Uh, That is when the Klingon bird of prey makes its appearance. It, it, or sorry, the Romulan, uh, a warbird makes its appearance. My bad. It, I said that because it kind of like looks like a kit bash between the two. I think because unlike the, unlike the Dederic's class, it doesn't have like both uh, like the uh, gull, like, you know, wings on the top and the bottom I, instead it's just on the yeah, bottom. It's it's a straight up to Derek's warbird and they just remove the top hull. So like the main command modules up there and it's just the lower half. Um, it flashes a light and we take this as a cue that whatever nefarious thing they have done to Tasha Yar activates her Manchurian candidate programming. Uh, she slams Troy's head into a wall and then forces herself up onto the bridge where we have a pretty okay fight sequence i think this is the better one to rate like is your fight scene better than the porn like this sequence where he she you know she does the natural tng thing beats up on yes uh you know like beats up on everybody and starts trying to hijack the ship and that is when of course we finally see sila sila uh brought broadcasting from from the warbird of like i fucking got you now and starts talking about uh, bringing uh, 
Enterprise back to Romulus and displaying it and the crew as trophies, which, as I recall, Tomalak. is a th- a threat that Commander Tomalak made to Picard in the show at some Straight point. Straight up, dude. That was the first thing I thought of. Amazing. I saw Sela. I got so excited. I was like, are we going to get a Sela sex scene, I hope? But sadly, that's not the case. While Yar's beating the hell out of everybody on the bridge and they are kind of in this little fight with the warbird, I did notice that one of the um, the aft engineering bays along the rear of the bridge was like a big schematic of a sovereign class enterprise. So another continuity blip there. But um, Tasha Yar does secure the bridge. She's got the phaser out and uh, like Picard, Riker and Data turn to face her and she sees Data and instead of just dropping all three of them, just kind of holds them at bay. And and that's where we have our exchange with Sela. It's a legit threat. Like you said, it's happened before. Uh, Picard points out that this is kind of like a rogue action and that the Romulan Senate doesn't know what she's up to. But she says, you know, it'll hardly matter with the. Uh, you know, the demoralization of having the flagship as our trophy, you know, big win for us and and typical Romulan treachery shit all works super legit. But uh, as is often the case, Data outsmarts Sela, throws up a tachyon deflection grid around the Enterprise, which cuts off Sela's remote control of her mother, who she is used as a as a puppet in a very, a very Romulan moment of using your alternate timeline mother to attack your on again off again nemesis of her former two 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 points about this the sila outfit is very much looks like a romulan you know toaster cover outfit in fact i'd say it looks a little bit better because it's a little bit more form-fitting so points there too as you noted this is data once again outsmarting sila every time sila showed up data is the person that outsmarts her Every He's time. such a motherfucker, isn't he? <laughs> Got him. And uh, he uh, he also doesn't share that he's outsmarting her until it is done, which is exactly how he treats her when they uh, when he's in command of the Sutherland during the Klingon Civil War and uh, and manages to catch her red handed. So love that. Uh, uh, this enables, of course, Tasha to man the tactical station free of her uh, daughter's control, uh, return fire against uh, the Warbird and the Warbird uh, leaves. However, this has a tragic consequence as Tasha Yar suddenly seems to just take immediate ill collapses. And after a last moment with Picard and Data, particularly saying Data's name before she passes, dies. And as we find out in the next scene, and I think a really cool way to continuitize this is that the biological communication process was actually also governing her biological functions. And once the communication was cut off, it cut off the signal that kept her biological functions running. So she just died. I'd like to think that it was a Padme Amidala death and it was uh, it was just that Tashiar died of a broken heart. (laughs) I, I liked I, I like the explanation more that Sela saw her mother as a disposable asset. And so the moment she decided to warp away to eliminate any witnesses, she just died. She was like built in with the trigger that she would just be disposed of after she was. And done she says useful. so much. They're like, you know, how are you going to 
expose your mother to danger and this and that. And she's like, my mother's safety is no concern of mine. I'm like, damn, bitch, you cold. You real cold. Um, She dies. It's a little touching. Uh, They have a very traditional Picard mentoring data moment as a follow up where Data's like, why would my name be the last thing she says? And Picard's like, "Uh, here's some. Because you fucked her, dude. (laughs) Here's some great stuff. Absolutely fucked the shit out of her. You got her addicted to what you did, you know. You got to move on, you know, stay real, play up. And Data's like, cool, I'm out. And Picard's like, cool, time for Nasik and Flute. But before he can blow on it. uh, Oh, hey, look, there is a Beverly Crusher after all. Yes. So at long last, I guess, like you said, might have been an actress availability thing. Uh, We get the one scene where Beverly shows up and uh, talks to Picard. And he's, you know, he's mournful about like, you know, uh, the, as you noted, like it seems that Tasha Yar just is absolutely just cursed, right? Like he invited Tasha Yar to be a member of his crew, died in service to the ship, died in service to the ship again after volunteering to die in service of the ship. I mean, like she just seems to be like destined to perish and there's nothing that Picard can do about it. And he feels guilty about that and we have that cool moment of reflection looking out his window and you know like he do yeah looking out his window and then for no reason except the fact that you know you can't have this end without picard and beverly crusher having sex uh beverly seems to come back and they have a sex scene which has noted is shot pov because the picard uh, the the guy who plays date is actually the stunt dick for this and in a note, in a perfect ending, the sex scene was not real. It was entirely Picard staring out the window, wanting to have had sex with Beverly, but reflecting that sometimes there are just some things in life that you don't get, that don't work out. And that is something that did not work out for him. He does not with Beverly like he wanted to be. And that is where they end, end this. And I'm like... Bra fucking vo. That is good shit right there. That is solid TNG writing. And it's a porno. Wow. Wow. Get this guy to Paramount ASAP. You're paying attention, Lisa Kink. This is how you do it. This is how you do it the right way. Did did I mention I guess it's kind of off, but uh did I mention in vis-a-vis that uh my wife asked why that was such a weird, like sexual tension moment. And I had to tell her about Lisa kink. Yeah. You did not mention that, yeah. but that is. That well, Lisa, this is the right way to do a, a sexy time. Star Trek episode. Uh, so much continuity, so much attention to detail, so much legitimately placed, trying hard, so much good writing, so much interesting thought provoking material between some pretty dry, stilted sex scenes. But it's like, that whole thing about Tash Yar just being designed to suffer and just how many times does she have to die at her post over and over again, like pretty deep stuff for porn. And it's interesting that it's things that I would have never considered had it not been for this porn. Dude, it would, it would be deep stuff yeah. for Trek, let alone for porn. It's mind blowing for porn. Uh, this was, this, this was a solid watch. Like, absolutely. I'm surprised that given it, that it was made in 2011, that they did not, they did not compromise their artistic integrity and somehow find a way to drag 
a seven or nine scene into this. I I mean, this guy was such so hard in the paint. Yeah. For for like getting it right, that that was no way that was going to happen. Like this guy had a vision. I mean, he had a vision and Sam had a vision and he delivered on it. He absolutely delivered on it. He knew what he wanted this to look like and he fucking did it. And I got to say, it is uh, it is a unique Star Trek viewing experience. Uh, this guy didn't do any other Trek related material, uh, unfortunately. This Why is would the you? one and only. Why would you? I know, right? You've reached the mountaintop, right? Like, I guess, like, maybe there was a DS9 episode he had in his head that he could have done. Uh, but I suppose this might not have been that financially successful or whatever, because there was never a follow up. And. You know what? The world is better for this existing. I would say that if I were to rate this against TNG episodes, I would say that it is easily like probably like a low middle tier episode. You know, definitely not not good. It's below the average, mm, but better than the sure bad episodes, that? you know? Yeah, this is a little less good than a nor- a the average episode of TNG merely because even like even average episodes of TNG have Patrick Stewart in them. Oh, uh, well, you know, if we're talking about talent, sure. If I, I'm talking about script and content. Oh, yeah. Like script and continuity and content wise. This is clearly superior to most episodes of Star I'd Trek. I put it like top 20 percent, if not top 10 percent of next gen. Like this was a solid fucking script. You talk about full production and stuff and and, you know, you're yeah, you're you're not getting the acting chops, but um it's still quite quite enjoyable, even on on the merits of what it is. And uh, if if you took this script and reworked it uh, a little bit and and turned it into a traditional episode of Star Trek, it would have been a fucking bombing ass episode, like a six season episode. You would have absolutely slayed with this. Season thing. six is genuinely considered uh, one of the, the you know the best season two. I'll tell you what, I enjoyed this so much that I'm going to go ahead and make an official calling right now and say that I am going to accept this as uh, as as full continuity in the Star Trek universe in my mind, and this is now canon. I you know what I accept this as canon as well. Uh, I would say that if you're to compare this to Voyager, this ranks as better than most episodes of season two. Uh, this ranks clearly better than, I mean, obviously better than most of the garbage we've watched, uh, but is was genuinely enjoyable in a way that and had more continuity and better writing and better structure than I would say 75% of the episodes of Voyager. Agreed. Fully agreed. And and uh, that tells you a lot about how far you can go when you love what you're doing. And as my wife said, this man, <laughs> he loves two things. Star Trek The Next Generation and Titty. It's a man after my own heart, Joe. I, I can't fault him either. Well, thanks for joining us on the special thanks adventure. Thanks for subscribing on Patreon. Yes! So, uh... A heartfelt thank you to our patrons for whom for whom we have produced this. Uh, it is a great to uh, not have uh, the burden of paying the podcast bills out of pocket. All of you make that possible, and we really appreciate it. Obviously, this is just a part time fun thing that we do. Uh, so uh, you know, not having to explain to our wives <laughs> why uh, why we're spending why money on Star Trek porn. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the money part. Yeah, sure. 
is is nice. Uh, so we always welcome folks to uh, join us, and you know, I I think we'll set a we'll set this out there, and and if people really like it, we'll entertain the possibility of going down this road further. Um, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed this. I feel like maybe we peaked too early, though. Maybe we should have saved this particular porn parody, but I'm still glad we watched it. Well, I want to say thank you to everybody who voted in the polls. This is clearly the outcome I wanted. Uh, like I said, I've wanted to watch this thing for a long time. I'm glad I didn't watch it until it was with a notebook and a podcast behind me to uh, to really flesh this thing out. So uh, thank shit. you for we've, giving me. We've talked about this for an hour and a half. <laughs> if I can talk about a terrible last Voyager episode for an hour, I can certainly talk about uh, titties and next gen for an hour and a half. That That's a no brainer. <laughs> This, right. uh, this was a joy. I was I was pumped about this. As was I. And uh, folks, uh, we will catch you whenever it is that you listen to this, whether it's right away because you're a patron or maybe uh, sometime down the road when we make it available to everybody else. Uh, we love and appreciate you. And we'll see you on our next episode, whenever that is. Peace. Peace.